Welcome back to Engage, everyone. This is Josue Davi, hosting with Cade Jones, and our guest today is Louise from Seed Winnipeg. That is supporting employment and economic development. Now, supporting employment and economic development, what does that mean exactly? Well, Seed was established to address poverty, and initially it was uh, primarily in the inner city. Uh, but it's expanded through since then and it's using an economic development approach that builds on the strengths and capacities that exist within communities with a real focus on financial empowerment so supporting community members or groups or aspiring business owners to to become more financially stable and financially self-sustaining very cool we're super excited to have you on and learn learn more about Seed. Uh, and definitely, you know, just learn how you guys are engaging with the community. We are excited to have this episode. My question would be, what are some of the programs uh, and initiatives that you guys are hosting over at Seed? Yeah, well, we, we have a whole range of programs. Initially, we started with um, business development programs and since then expanded in response to feedback from from the community and what we saw as things that could really help in terms of people being able to move their lives forward. Yeah, so we we continued to work with entrepreneurs. So those these are people living on a low income that essentially want to become self-employed. They want to create a job for themselves, perhaps for other people. Uh, so we work with small scale, what we call micro businesses, but we also work with co-ops, uh, social enterprises, worker co-ops, nonprofits that want to set up social enterprises. Uh, we actually were involved in setting up our own social enterprise in partnership with the University of Winnipeg Community Renewal Corporation. So we co-own the food service, diversity food services at the university. So that's one set of programs. We also have what we call our asset building programs. And through that, we offer money management training. We also offer what we call match savings programs. So people are able to save for different assets and the money that they save is matched so that they can invest in, in those assets. And so it's everything from something as basic as household furniture, like a bed, to people wanting to save for computers, for school, or for employment, to people saving for their education. So we've had students attending the University of Manitoba, University of Winnipeg, Red River, save for their courses that way, including uh, people saving for home ownership as well. And so that's a whole range of programs. Uh, we support people in accessing identification. Uh, basic ID, like uh, birth certificates, uh, so that they can get access to government services or employment or invest in an RESP. And we also have a program called Access to Benefits, where we support people to be able to access government benefits and entitlements. And all of this work is done in partnership with other community organizations. And so in the course of a year, we partner with um, over 100 community organizations to deliver these services. Last year, through our Access to Benefits program, in conjunction with our community partners, um, we uh, community members were able to access over $16 million in tax refunds and benefits as an example and then okay. the, 
And then the last program is our Recognition Counts program, and that's for skilled immigrants. And uh, we've all heard of sort of the taxi driver who's a doctor in his home country and is unable to get uh, credentials recognized here, or nurses uh, is another big one that's really needed here where people aren't able to work here because their credentials aren't recognized. So we have a loan program, a microloan program, where immigrants can access 10000 or up to $15,000 to be able to get back into their professions. Wow, that's honestly really incredible. That's that's amazing to hear. How did you become involved? What was the background and history with that like? Yeah, well, I've always been really passionate about opportunity for people who, because of structural systemic reasons, don't have access to that opportunity. And it's very personal for me because I I grew up as a refugee. And uh, during those years, there were many opportunities that were closed off to me. And so realized that there's so many people in every different country, including Canada, who not for lack of trying or for skills or for dreams are unable to actually live up to their potential. And so I really wanted to be part of creating and building those opportunities for other people because I feel really lucky that eventually those opportunities opened up for me. And so I was uh, really very happy when I saw, when when I first moved to Winnipeg and realized uh, that SEED existed. And I thought, yeah, that's an organization I want to work for. It took a couple of tries. The first time I applied, I I wasn't selected, uh, but eventually I was able to get a job at SEED. And so this was way back, I think in 1998. Uh, So I have been involved with SEED um, for the most part since then. Uh, There's a bit of a break where I did independent consulting work, but I did come back and uh, started working for SEED again, because I feel really good about the organization and the people that I work with and the way that the community has responded to what it is that we're offering. Very cool. That's uh, that's very, very awesome to hear. It sounds like you have a really good grip on the programs and the things that they're offering. And it's exciting to hear that comes from like personal experience and of you, you know, really enjoying what the organization has done. Uh, How, what would be the easiest way for people to access the programs uh, and initiatives at SEED, but like, where can people go? Yeah, so um, our website includes an overview of all of our programs um, and how people can access those programs. The other thing that people can do is just call. Our main number is 204-927-9935 to get uh, more information about, about the programs. Cool. It sounds great. And what would the website be called? Okay, so the address for the web- website is uh, seed. And so it's spelt like a plant seed, Winnipeg. And so that's all one word, .ca. So seedwinnipeg.ca. Awesome. Okay, well, that's very sweet. And I'm sure we'll have some listeners that definitely will be interested in the services you guys offer. Uh, I'm wondering... Uh, more of a personal question, um, or I guess, you know, standing for the values of the company. Why is financial empowerment uh, so important for people in our community? Why do you feel that that's an important thing? Because I think the lack of resources, uh, the lack of money is something that can really get in the way of people being able to live full lives. Um, And it can actually be quite crushing and soul destroy, actually, um, and contribute to all sorts of mental health issues. So I, I think 
that providing people with access to, to programs and services that help them build a better financial future for themselves, I think is really important. Uh, but financial empowerment also has another aspect to it, which is recognizing that a lot of the barriers that people face are structural. And so the solutions don't only lie in individuals um, having opportunities made available to them. It also lies in changing some of the institutions and structures and policies that create that financial vulnerability. So we know that some groups are disproportionately impacted by poverty. So Indigenous community members, uh, people with disabilities, racialized community members. Uh, and so we also need to, as part of our financial empowerment work, be working to address some of the more systemic structural issues as well. Of course. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, definitely. What would be some of the main barriers that are preventing SEED from doing this work? Yeah, so there's, there's a whole range of barriers. So one of the things that was surprising to me was realizing how many people lacked uh, basic identification. And so if you just think about the number of times when you're accessing different essential services, you get asked for your ID. And what would happen to you if you didn't have that? And yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so right now we have kids that are not able to go to school because they don't have birth certificates. We have people that can't access healthcare because they don't have a health card. So really basic, basic, basic things, not being able to open a bank account, not being able to get a job because you need a social insurance number. It's almost like you don't exist as a person. And so um, providing access to ID through organizations like SEED is important, but also working with the province uh, to really look at, uh, for the longest time, there's been like huge delays in people being able to access birth certificates over eight months. And so we recently had a meeting with the assistant deputy minister that's in charge of that area. And they are doing some really proactive things to address that. And we do want to stay in communication with them and to talk about what it is community members need. Uh, so for example, with the pandemic, a lot of um, services have moved to online or over the phone. And there's lots and lots of people in our community that don't have access to that technology or regular access to that. And so they're shut out of all sorts of essential services. One of the discussions that we had was what are you doing in terms of providing in-person services? And we've been talking to other essential government services around that same issue. So that's a key structural barrier. But there's also others as well. So there's discrimination when it comes to employment, the credentials recognition program. Um, so providing the loans that's really, really helpful. But we also need to make sure that the credentials recognition system for immigrants is fair and that people who have the skills are able to apply those skills in Canada. And it's a win-win for everybody because we're desperately in need of those skills, particularly in the medical area right now. Yeah, so there's, there's no shortage of issues when it comes to um, Indigenous rights. Uh, there are the issues that were outlined in the truth uh, in the TRC report and calls to action. 
And so we are also actively engaged in um, in advocating with government to actually follow through on, on those calls to action. So we hold a monthly anti-racism letter writing sessions and focusing on different issues. A key piece is on, on Indigenous rights. And so our next letter writing, which is on October 13th, one of the things that we'll be asking the federal government to do is to follow through and to obey the order by the uh, Human Rights Tribunal ordering them to pay compensation to First Nations children that, that have been harmed by the child welfare system. And they've been challenging those orders in court. And we want them to stop doing that and just to, to pay what they have been told to pay. That's incredible. That's really incredible work. I have uh, personal experience with how difficult it can be to get, you know, identification cards and things like that. And you're so right, you know, with just accessing basic services, basic needs for people. That's sounds like really incredible work that you guys are doing down there. Um, you spoke yeah. a little. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I, I was going to say that I just wanted to give, I, I don't want to leave the impression that I'm the one who's doing this work. Um, the frontline staff are, are really quite, um, I can't say enough about how they approach this work. They talk about walking alongside people, making sure that community members are always in the driver's seat and directing what needs to be done. And when it comes to the ID issue, it, it definitely connects to the whole history of colonization in Canada and the ongoing impacts. 75% of the people that access that program are of Indigenous descent. And it's absolutely connected to residential schools, to the 60s scoop, to all of those um, to all of those policies that that were put in place. Definitely, yeah. It's uh, it's always really hard to maneuver through this uh, colonial world and find ways that we can better support our community. And you were totally right. Speaking on structural, it's all structural issues and things like that. You um you spoke a little bit about uh, how COVID nineteen sort of affected the work that you guys did. You spoke that you guys moved to online. Seems like we're still you know in the middle of this pandemic after almost two years now, um, going into the third year. And I'm just wondering how that shift has been in kind of the grand scale. How how COVID nineteen has affected all of the work that you guys try to do for the community. Yeah, no, it was it was really really challenging. Um, I I do want to give a shout out to all of our funders who were um, incredibly flexible and allowed us to alter how we did things and what we did to meet the needs that were emerging as a consequence of COVID. Yeah, so you're right. We did shift programming to online and over the phone. However we recognized that there was still a really sizable number of community members that would be unable to access our services if that's all we did. So throughout the pandemic, we've also been offering in-person services, and we've had to think really carefully about how we do that to try and make sure that we keep staff and community members safe throughout that process. So we had to we introduced all sorts of protocols like plexiglass, um, social distancing, limiting the number of people that can be in the office at any given time, doing screening of symptoms. Yeah. And so it's, um, and we've obviously with the risk level changing, we've had to alter our policies in, in response to that. So that that's one piece. Uh, the, the other thing that we did is we, we did shift resources into areas where there was really high levels of need. And so we were able to obtain permission from, again, our funders to being able to support people uh, around providing information and navigation supports around the new federal benefit, around tax filing, 
all of those pieces because all sorts of uh, volunteer income tax pro programs shut down. And so there was this huge demand that wasn't being met. And so we actually doubled the uh, amount of work that we did in that area along with our partners. So in the previous year, we supported people, I think it was about $8 million in tax refunds and benefits in this most recent year. We doubled that. Uh, and then we also introduced um, uh, webinars uh, that were held on a sometimes weekly basis to try and provide people with real-time information about what was happening. And so um, entities like Service Canada, the Canada Revenue Agency, Employment Income Assistance, uh, so they were all available and able to provide people with information about about benefits and how to access benefits and and also our partners the community unemployed help center was really great in terms of providing information about how those benefits could interact with each other uh, so that people wouldn't end up in a worse off situation uh, by maybe accessing benefits that would later be clawed back by a different system um, so so that was really important those webinars have been really well attended the most recent one that we held we had over um, people attend um, and then we also introduced so probably the most innovative program was a, a financial helpline um, so we got together with uh, different agencies right now there's four agencies including seed that are part of it uh, so the Community Unemployed Help Center, Community Financial Counseling Services, and the Immigrant and Refugee Community Organization of Manitoba, and SEED. And so through the helpline, people are able to call with uh, questions related to financial access, filing taxes, access to ID, all of the different services that we and our partner organizations provide. And if their questions can't be answered by the agent on the line, then they can be transferred to any one of those four community partners and different partners specialize in different areas and so that's been really helpful and very successful so we've had like over a thousand people uh, call that helpline including people from out of province <laughs> i'm not sure how they heard about us but but that's happened uh, so that that's been really well received yeah so those are some of the main things and then we also have been doing outdoor program delivery and uh, we have um we're working quite closely with uh 24 family resource centers and so we've been holding what we call financial empowerment drop-in days and mostly in parking lots so where we'll locate a bunch of services in one place so people don't have to go from place to place to place so people can go they can get uh, access to id they can get their taxes filed by community financial counseling services they can get their questions answered about uh, the federal benefits or employment income assistance by community unemployed help center and then Assiniboine Credit Union is there helping people open bank accounts. Um, and so that's that's also been been really great. And Service Canada, um, and we're hoping that entities like Service Canada and maybe Vital Stats can also be part of it in the future and possibly the Canada Revenue Agencies because they've been part of those kinds of events in the past. And so we're hoping that they will uh, they will join us going forward. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible to hear that. You know, despite uh, all the barriers thrown from the pandemic, you guys have found ways to, to really maneuver through and still continue the work and find ways to continue giving people the services they need. That's uh, it's really good to hear about all of the attendance that was at these webinars and just the different things that you guys have done. Mm -hmm. It's really good. One question I have would be, what are the organizations, or I guess some of the organizations, what are some of their biggest goals and wishes for the community going forward? Is there like a five-year plan? And uh, like, what, uh, what do you guys wish to see or hope to see uh, going forward? Yeah, well, we, we, do, we have a, a strategic plan. Um, our 
we haven't renewed it yet uh, because the pandemic kind of got in the way of that. But yeah, no, our, our goals and aspirations are many. Ultimately, it is to really have an impact on, on reducing poverty in our, in our community and making opportunities related to financial empowerment available through to more and more people through a larger and larger network of organizations. Um, and the benefit of having it happen through other organizations is that they're able to customize the programs for the communities that they serve. Uh, so as an example, we held our first money management training in Ojibwe last week. And so that was very exciting for us. And so being able to sort of meet communities where they're at, build on strengths within communities and, and do that by, by partnering with the individuals that have been most directly impacted by, by the issues is, is really important to, to how we're proceeding. Yeah, but, but the ultimate goal, I think, would be, like, it'd be wonderful to live in a world where an organization like SEED didn't really have to exist. That, that, would, be, that would be my ultimate goal. And I'd really love to, my other passion is plants. So I'd really love to be able to work at a place like, say, a plant nursery or something like that. That's awesome. I did want to clarify before we wrap up, just for anyone listening, what some of the best ways they could support SEED might be, um, whether it be through donation, volunteer work, what sort of the best way to go about supporting y'all would be. Yeah, so if you go onto our website, seedwinnipeg.ca, there is the ability to make a donation. We're a nonprofit charitable organization, so you'd get a charitable tax receipt. The other way is we're always really interested in partnering with community organizations that have a similar mission and that are working with financially vulnerable communities. And so if anyone that's listening is connected to an organization like that and they think, oh, you know, money management training might be something that would be good. Like we have a train the trainer program. And so we get help with thinking about how we embed that in a community organization or maybe even on campus. So we, we work with different educational institutions. Yeah, so we're really open and happy to engage in, in those kinds of partnerships. And then the last thing that I would ask people to do is if you know someone who might be able to use some of the services and supports that we offer, uh, by all means, tell them the main way that people find out about what we do is through word of mouth. And so we really rely on, on community members to tell other community members. That's great. Is there anything else, any more events or anything in particular that's coming up that you might want to promote at all? Yeah, um, I am. So we have our Money Stories workshops that are happening in different Indigenous languages. So Cree, Ojibwe, and Ochi Cree. So I would encourage people to look those up. And then uh, we also have our online workshops on the new uh, federal benefits or the way the federal benefits are, are changing. And so I would um, encourage people to, again, check out our website to find out uh, when the next one is being held. Yeah, so I would flag those two. Actually, and, and one last one, which is our Recognition Counts webinars for skilled immigrants that are looking to get back into their professions. So those would be the three things that tend to happen on a pretty regular basis. Okay. And for those who do have access, um, this information can be found on Instagram and the website as well. Is there any other social media or anything like that that this information can be found or Instagram is probably the best? 
Yeah, so so the website, and I believe that we're also on Twitter. I'm, you're asking the wrong person about social media. I don't have a social media account. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just like, yeah, we have social media, but I'm not 100% clear on what it is or where it is. But, sure. but yeah, yeah. But but we we have a Facebook. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure we have Twitter, and then we have our website. Okay, sweet. Just before we wrap up. Then one thing we do like to do towards the end of our episodes is see if our guest would like to pick what song would air following the episode on the radio. Would you happen to have anything in mind? Oh, okay. I have so many songs that I really love. Maybe uh, What a Wonderful World. Original? Yes. All right. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Sweet. That sounds great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come and speak to us today, Louise. This has been awesome getting a little peek into what SEED is doing for our community, and it sounds amazing. Well, thanks for your interest in our work, and yeah, I'm glad we were finally able to connect. Yeah, this has been incredible. Um, we're excited for everyone to listen in and get more information about this. Uh, thank you so much for being here and taking your time out of your day. All right. Okay, take care. Take care. Have a good day. Goodbye. This has been Engage on UMFM 101.5 with your hosts, Josue Devi and Kate Jones. You were just listening to Seed Winnipeg. Thank you.